This is Revelation chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. Most translations call it poison. And the third part of the waters became wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. My subject for you to consider today will simply be entitled The Wormwood Remedy. The Wormwood Remedy. God bless you. You may be seated. There are so many places in the Bible where um, I guess I would call it cliff notes. Um, if you're not familiar with cliff notes, uh, cliff notes is the modern equivalent of the Reader's Digest. Um, when I was a kid, the Reader's Digest was a big deal. And uh, my grandfather had that delivered to his house every month and he saved, I just remember, Dozens and dozens of them in, in the shelves in their house. Basically, Reader's Digest would take a large book and condense it to where you could get most of the book in a very abbreviated form. Thus, Cliff Notes is the same thing. Consider Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is what I'll call the Cliff Notes of the Old Testament. It gives us the big picture. And then, starting in chapter 2... It gives us much more detail about what happened in chapter 1. What goes on in the first book in the Bible goes on in the last book of the Bible. When you read the first three chapters of Revelation, it gives you the big picture. And then from 4 on, it gives you the details of the big picture that was introduced in the beginning of Revelation. There's a word that you're familiar with, and it's, of course, church. The Greek word for church is ekklesia. That word is never found after Revelation chapter 4. Thus, the church is gone. It's gone. And um, I have read to you something. I'm not qualified to teach on this, therefore I'll be very... Uh, careful about the way I navigate for the next couple minutes. But after the Lord takes his church, I've taught you for years from Leviticus 23. There are seven feasts of Jehovah that are mentioned in Leviticus chapter 23. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpet, atonement, tabernacles. When you study Corinthians chapter 5, it refers to Jesus as our Passover, our Passover. And um, if you remember when John the Baptist introduced Jesus, on two separate occasions, John referred to Jesus as the lamb that takes away the sin of the whole world. Passover, of course, is Exodus 12, when they 
killed that firstling of the flock in Egypt, put the blood on the door, the angel passed over them. Thus the concept of the blood of the lamb is introduced and it's really introduced in the book of Genesis because it talks about Abel offered a firstling of the flock. In the Bible, there's flocks and herds. Herds were cattle. But when you deal with flocks, it's flocks of goats and flocks of sheep. Abel offered a lamb, not for his brother, not for his mom, not for his dad, a lamb for simply him. You get a little further in the scripture and you find about Noah who offered a clean sacrifice for his family. Then you get to Exodus 12 and now you've got a lamb for your household. Not just your blood relatives, but everybody in your circle of influence because it was a mixed multitude that came out of Egypt. So if you are a student of the Old Testament, it wasn't just Israel that came out of Egypt. There were Egyptians that were slaves. They were delivered with Israel. And there's a third group. They're known as the stranger. People from all over the world. Egypt was a world power. They had slaves from everywhere. They just happened to get invited for lamb chops on that night. And if you were in a blood-covered house on that night, the first male of the family was spared. If you weren't in a blood-covered house, think of it. We just think in terms of children, but if they had a son, baby, infant, first-born son, he died. If the dad was a first-born son, he died. If grandpa was still alive and he was a first-born son, he died. So there were multiple deaths in various families. And so I'm trying to show you how you get lamb for a man, lamb for a family, lamb for a household. Jesus, the lamb for the world. That's why the Bible said there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. Talks about neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He's our Passover. While the Jews are celebrating Passover, Passover's on the cross. Why didn't Jesus resurrect on the day after he was crucified? He can't. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it or fill it full of meaning. So the day after Passover is unleavened bread. Leaven is yeast. If there's no yeast, nothing rises up. Thus, he can't rise up on the day after he's crucified. But the third day is first fruits. On two separate occasions in Corinthians 15, Jesus is referred to as the first fruits of them that slept. And so you have in Leviticus 23, Passover, the next day is unleavened bread, the next day is first fruits. That's fulfilled in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Fifty days after first fruits is Pentecost. That's You'll never find the word Pentecost in the Old Testament. It's known as the Feast of Weeks or the New Offering, but it is what is used in the New Testament, a verse that you're very familiar with. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, that's Acts 2 and verse number 1. If you know your Bible, seven Sabbaths and a day 
or 50 days after first fruits is when you celebrate Pentecost. Acts 1 says that after Jesus resurrected, he taught them for 40 days. Took him out to Bethany, and before he left, he said, go to Jerusalem and tarry. Go to Jerusalem and wait until you get the promise. So how long did they wait? Ten days. You've got to get the 50 days between his resurrection, which fulfilled first fruits, and Pentecost. So four of the seven have been fulfilled. Passover was fulfilled at his death. Unleavened bread was fulfilled at his burial. First fruits was fulfilled at his resurrection. Pentecost was fulfilled at the birth of the, of the New Testament church. We have three festivals left, three feasts. So people have asked me, when do you think the Lord's coming, Pastor Hoffman? He's coming in the fall. He's coming in the fall. I've received a lot of criticism for that. But um, I'm right. I'm right. And I'll tell you why I'm right. Because the law of the Lord is perfect. And God has honored the first four of those seven feasts. And he's going to honor the last three. And the next one coming up is known as trumpets. It always happens in September. I don't know which September he's coming. But I got a one in four chance. Those are good odds if you're a gambler. And... uh, He could come in the spring, he could come in the summer, he could come in the fall, he could come in the winter. But he's got to come in one of them four. And if I'm going to make my choice, I'm saying he's coming in the fall. And um, the next feast, trumpets. A lot of Bible verse about that. That when he returns, the Bible said it will be a voice as of a trumpet. John talked about that in Revelation chapter 4. He said, I heard a sound as of a trumpet. It said, come up here. There was a door opened in heaven. Bam, I'm in front of the throne. I personally believe that is the picture of the Lord taking his church. The church is not found after Revelation chapter 4. What I have read to you is something known as the opening of the seals. There's a book, and it's got seven seals on it. I'm I'm not qualified, and I don't have the time to go into all the minutia about the seven seals. But what I've read to you is something that will occur when that seventh seal is opened. These are things that will transpire on the earth after the Lord takes his church. You do not want to be here when the Lord takes the one thing off of this earth that means more to him than anything else. There's a great verse in the book of Luke. Jesus said two people are going to be in the field. One's going to be taken. The other's going to be left. Two people are going to be sleeping. One's going to be taken. The other's going to be left. And then the disciples asked a very curious question to me. They said, Where? They didn't ask him, when is this going to happen? They said, where? Where, Lord? And he said, wherever the carcass is, the eagle is going to find that carcass. I didn't understand what that meant until I went fishing in Canada. We, We would get this cabin on this little rock, really. And they told us when you, when you dress your fish, 
take the insides of your fish and get them a long ways away from your cabin because there's a lot of bears. So you don't want to get up close and personal and have much fellowship with those critters. So clean the fish. <clears throat> take them a couple hundred yards and put them on a rock. I'm talking in the middle of nowhere. Biscotossing, Ontario. I just looked it up this week. Population 22. 22. If Osama bin Laden would have gone to Bisco, they, they would have never found that dude. And uh, it's just uh, amazed me. I'd sit on this porch and these men that I'm with, they would take those innards of that fish and they'd put it on that rock. And before the boat got back to where we were, the eagles are already there. They found it. They found it. And this is what the Lord is saying in the book of Luke. Just as sure as the eagle can find the carcass, I am going to find my body. Because the question, ladies and gentlemen, that so many people get distracted by, the real question is not when is he coming. The real question is where you and I better be when he shows up. We better make sure we're in the body. We better make sure we're in the body of Christ. The Lord's not coming for me. He's not coming for you. He's coming for his body. Find the body. Be a part of the church. It's important. It's critical. Seven seal was going to be opened. There are seven angels with seven trumpets. What I've read to you is this third angel blowing his trumpet. And it says a great star is going to fall from heaven. It's going to be on fire. It's like a lamp. It's not going to hit the ocean. It's going to hit the rivers. It is going to poison one third of the drinkable water on the earth. And because of that, many, many, many people are going to die. It's an asteroid is what it is. What's the difference between an asteroid and a meteor? The, the simplest way for me to explain to you is a meteor comes through our atmosphere but burns up in the atmosphere. But an asteroid gets through the atmosphere and hits the earth. If you've noticed, the movie industry has picked up on this theme. And there's a lot of doomsday films that have been made in the last couple of years. And um, the truth is, this Wormwood event is, is not something that's never happened. There are at least five craters that have been identified on the surface of the earth. If you ever go to Arizona, possibly get a chance to go to Flagstaff. Outside of Flagstaff is something known as the Behringer Crater. It is three quarters of a mile wide. It's about 600 feet deep. If you would take a hunting rifle and go out in your backyard where there was some dirt or sand and just shoot, it would look like this, except this is on a much bigger scale. <clears throat> I've been a student for years of a guy by the name of G.T. Haywood. He was one of the premier influencers of the early apostolic church and uh, died early 1930s. It was Haywood's belief that one day a massive crater would be found that would explain the disappearance of the dinosaurs. 
It has been found. It's known as the Chicxulub Crater. It's off the Yucatan Peninsula. It's 93 miles wide. It's 12 miles deep. When something of that magnitude hit the earth, the plasma, the, 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 the earth that was tossed up would blot out the sun, creating something known as nuclear winter. These dinosaurs died fast. It was Haywood's contention that something happened between day five and day six. Day five talks about a creation from the water, reptiles. I don't never have believed there were dinosaurs on the ark. Something happened. Haywood gives a very interesting theory. He believed that Satan fell and hit the earth. And when he did, it destroyed all of that. And he comes to, he's obviously fallen before Adam and Eve show up. It's conjecture. Haywood can't prove it. I can't prove it. But the Chicxulub crater is there. And they all agree that when it happened, it blanketed the earth and blocked out the sun. There's something known as the Tunguska event, 1908. A meteor exploded in Siberia. It flattened 80 million trees. Over 800 square miles of forest were decimated. These are scary things to think about. But when you do think about it, how does the earth keep from colliding with an asteroid? Our planet obviously bears the scars of past collisions. There have been many remedies offered. One said, just shoot it with a missile and uh, we'll blow it up. Others have theorized, let's launch a shuttle and let's hook up the shuttle to it. And we'll just pull it out of the way like a car beside of the road. <clears throat> Bruce Willis drilled a hole in one and split it in half and saved the world in something known as Armageddon. But interestingly enough, very recently, scientists at the University of Arizona and Glasgow, Scotland, arrived at the very same conclusion in the same month. Paint it white. Paint it white. It all comes from a Russian engineer who in the year of 1900, his name was Yarkovsky, he taught that any object in space that is facing the sun will obviously benefit from the radiation of the sun. Thus, an object in space painted white will radiate and reflect solar energy. And this has the ability to push it into a new path. Thus, the remedy for wormwood, paint it white. Paint it white. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 21, this is what Paul said. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. There are so many places in the Bible that talk about the struggle. Ephesians says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle. Principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness high places, the rulers of the darkness of this world. Listen to what Paul said. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly, 
but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. It can cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Paul was writing to ground zero, the epicenter. He's writing to Christians in the capital city of the mighty Roman Empire. Don't let the bad stuff drag you down. Overcome it. Overcome evil with good. It may surprise you to know that the Greek word for overcome has a lot to do with sneakerheads because the Greek word for overcome is Nike. It means to prevail over an opponent, to triumph, to conquer. And when you really melt it down to its most base elements, ladies and gentlemen, we have a choice. You're either going to be the victim or you're going to be the victor. You're either going to be overcome or you're going to overwhelm that which is tried. Paul talked about cast down, but not destroyed. There's a scripture in the book of Luke, chapter 1 and 37, that's intrigued me for a long time. With God, nothing is impossible. So many people look at that verse from the surface only. I'm convinced there's a deeper revelation. Not only does this verse mean the Lord can do anything, but rather there is one thing that is impossible with the Lord. Nothing. Nothing. In John chapter 21, they've been fishing. These are experienced fishermen. They've been fishing all night. And the Lord said, do you have any meat? And he said, we have fished all night and caught nothing. The Lord's response was this, cast the net on the right side of the ship. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fish. Who else but Jesus would ask you and me to try, go back to the very place where we have just recently failed. Not once, but again and again. And to go back to that place of your last defeat and try again. We have nothing, Lord. Wrong. I'm here. And now that I'm here, it is impossible for you to have nothing. Because I'm everything. I'm whatever you need. I am the I am. We need a way across the Red Sea. No problem. I am the way. We need bread to eat. No problem. I'll blanket the ground with manna. We need water. I can make water come out of a rock. We need a way across the Jordan. No problem. I can do that. I am Alpha and Omega. Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is comparable to our Z. What he's saying is, can you spell it? Whatever minute, you got 26 letters in your alphabet. Can you spell your problem? And if you can spell it, I'm bigger than that. Perfect peace have them that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. That means we ought to, there should never be anything that should offend us wrong. It means something else. Nothing should offend you. 
When nobody gets baptized, that don't offend you. When nobody gets the Holy Ghost, that don't offend you. When nobody is healed, that don't offend you. When nobody gets delivered, that don't offend you. When it's a dead, dry, boring church service, that ought to offend you. I am offended at silent church. I am offended at powerless prayer meetings. I am offended at lies with no consecration. There's something to this. 223 times in the Bible, the words good and bad are paired together. Thus, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil's present with me. We all know this. Evil's powerful. It comes from the evil one. It's hardwired into our nature. Did you ever steal anything? I did. I remember the first thing I ever stole. A lime green plastic guitar, about six inches long, that was in the bedroom of my cousin, Brian O'Connell. I saw that thing. Uh, He went out. I stuck it. I have no idea what happened to it. I just remember stealing it. I remember the second thing I stole. There was this kid named Aaron McQuarrie, and his mom gave him a sleeve of chocolate drops. And he would look at me and put one of them in his mouth and go, mmm, during church. I waited until his mom took him out and I stole the sleeve of chocolate drops. And I ran out in the parking lot and I shoved every one of them suckers in my mouth and got sick to my stomach and threw up. But I remember the first thing I stole. I remember, I don't remember the third thing, but I promise you there was the third thing. My grandpa got gold medal in the Olympics in cussing. My grandpa was a great cusser. I would listen to my grandpa cuss. Boy, could he cuss. And I couldn't wait to take them words out for a drive. I couldn't wait to talk about those things. I, 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 uh, did, you, did you ever lie? I have. I've lied. I've stolen. I've cheated. Why? Because it is hardwired into us that there is another force there. There's something. Listen to this verse. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Common. Nobody's ever been through what I've been through, Pastor. Wrong. There are people before you and there will be people after you. But the question is, how are you going to deal with it? How are you going to deal with this problem? There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with, will with, will with the temptation also make a way of escape, comma, that you may be able to bear it. We're talking twins here. Do you understand? That whenever anything bad comes into your life, anything evil comes into your life, it does not come by itself. The Lord sees to it that with that temptation comes something else known as a way of escape. Our idea of escape is getting out of it. But think of Daniel in the lion's den. And the next morning how that king pried that stone off of that cavern and said, Daniel, are you still? Oh, king, live forever. The Lord has sent an angel and shut the lion's mouth. He gave every lion tetanus, gave him lockjaw. Why? He didn't get him out, but he provided a way of escape, not to get him out, but that he could bear it. Think of those boys in that fire. Didn't we throw three in there? How come I see a fourth one? Hey, come out of there. It's not in there. I wish they would have said it. How about you get your butt off of that throne and get in here with us? 
You created this fire. Come on, let's see if you can handle the heat. Do you see what I'm saying? God didn't get them out of the fire. It just released their bounds. It released their limitations. Amen. And he created a way for them to escape right in the middle of it. Why? Because we've got a world to win. And they're going to deal with the same problems you and I have to deal with. But we're going to deal with them differently. Because we've got an I am. Because we've got a way. We have a provider. We have with the temptation a way of escape. And I'm able to bear it. I'm able to put up with it. My wife's been sick. My kids have been sick. I've been sick. I I just Don't you understand? There's going to be thieves in heaven. Don't you get that? There's going to be thieves. I got in trouble for saying this years ago, but I'm going to say it again. There's going to be homosexuals in, 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 in New Jerusalem. There's going to be a lesbians in the New Jerusalem. Oh my God, Brother Hubman is, is going into the woke theology. No, 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 no. I'm going to listen to what the Bible said. Fornicators, idolaters, abusers of themselves with mankind, thief, covetous, reviler, druggist, extortioner, and such were some of you, but you're washed and you're justified. There are going to be people in heaven that wanted to steal, but they overcame There are people that wanted to do an alternative lifestyle, but they overcame it. Oh, Jesus. Let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We are his workmanship, Ephesians, poema, masterpiece. We are his masterpiece created under good works. This is one of my favorite verses. And Joseph remembered the dreams, Genesis 42 and 9, which he dreamed of them. 17 years old. He's a junior in high school. His jealous brothers throw him into a pit. The Bible said jealousy is cruel like the grave. They threw him into a grave, man. I think of the pitiful cries of that teenage kid. Please don't leave me down here. They sold him to a bunch of slave traders who took him all the way to Egypt. Bought by a man of influence by the name of Potiphar. The Bible said the whole house of Potiphar was blessed because of Joseph. He saw the kids got leadership skills. Begins to give him a job. He does it good. Gives him another job. After a while, he's running the whole house. I can't prove it, but I'd say Potiphar had a trophy wife. She tries to seduce Joseph. He leaves his coat with her. Joseph lost a lot of coats in the Bible. He had a coat of many colors his dad gave him. He lost that. He lost his second coat to Potiphar's wife. Potiphar comes home and his old lady said he tried to rape me. I think Potiphar knew his old lady had a problem because if he really believed that, he would have killed Joseph. Instead, he put him in prison. I don't know how long he was there. As near as I can tell, it's 27 years between being sold by his brothers and being promoted by the king. Meets these two guys, Butler and Baker. Tells the baker, you're going to die. Tells the butler, you'll be restored. When you're restored, don't forget me. But like so many other people in his life, they did forget him. But the Lord didn't forget him. 
And the king has a dream. And he asks his wise men to interpret the dream. And they say, what's the dream? And he said, that's a problem. I can't remember the dream. That's a problem. And the butler goes, I got the guy. And he finds Joe in the prison and they clean him up. Joseph tells him the dream and gives him the interpretation. And said, You're, you got a little bit of time. And there's a famine coming to the world. And if I were you, I'd get the smartest guy you can get your hands on and put him over the grain. Because you're going to be the only one in the world with grain to feed the famished world. And the king says, well, I can't think of anybody smarter than you. Here, put this robe on, put this ring on. Take him through the land and make everybody kneel. I get such a kick out of that. Because somewhere out there on the sidewalk is Potiphar's old lady who's got to kneel to the very guy that she put in prison on a trumped up rape charge. And he's over all this grain. He's 30 years old at least, probably older. And those guys come in the back of that room. I see a guy with a page boy haircut, makeup up on his cheeks, eyelids highlighted in that Egyptian fashion. AIDS bustling in and out. Documents being accepted, documents being rejected. Number 43, how much do you need? Why should we give it to you? Have you been faithful to this nation? All of a sudden, them Tim dudes walk in the back, and this is what it says. And Joseph remembered the dream. 27 years knocked that thing out of his heart. When them boys walked in, he knew them dudes are going to come up here and bow down to me just like I saw it when I was a junior in high school. If you know the story, he finally reveals himself to them. After self-righteous Judah drew near and begged for his little brother Benjamin. The Bible said the joints of their knees were loosed because now everything's reversed. Now he's the second most powerful man in the world. All he's got to do is that, and they're dead. All he's got to do, just one word, and they're dead. But let me teach you what is called the 50-20 principle. Because in 50 of Genesis in verse 20, but as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass this day to save people. Don't you get it, you stupid hillbillies? If you wouldn't have sold me, I would have never ended up in Potiphar's house. I would have never gone to prison from Potiphar's old lady. I would have never met the butler. I would have never had the chance to interpret the dream, and I wouldn't be here right now sitting on the largest stockpile of grain in the world. And I'm gonna share it with you. And not only am I gonna give you grain, I'm going to give you the best farmland in the world. I'm going to give you the land of Goshen. I'm going to give you the headwaters of the Nile River. You're going to get the best of the very best. How could you do that? Because when that black thing came into his life to absolute and utterly destroy him, Joseph said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to paint it white. 
I'm going to deflect that thing. I'm going to put it on another path. I'm going to put it on another trajectory. I refuse to allow this thing to destroy me. I was on a porch in Bisco years ago. And I did this. I was all by myself. To my amazement, it started echoing through those valleys and that lakes. And every loon in Canada started talking back to me. And if you've ever heard the lonely loon, it's a magnificent. I just kept whistling and they kept talking to me. And then on a lark, I just did this. I curse you. And when I said that, it just kept bouncing. I curse you, I curse you, I curse you, I curse you. And it came around again to that porch. And just, just whatever, I just said, I bless you. And when I did that, it started echoing through those lakes. I bless you, I bless you, I bless you, I bless you. And it came back to echo and reverberate on the very same porch that I just said that a few moments. And I, I learned a powerful lesson there that whatever you say to others, it's coming back. It's coming back. I'm here to preach to you today. Don't curse it. Just bless it. I bless you. 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 Because it's not just one way. It's coming back to you. William Duke became blind at the age of 10. In his early 20s, he went to graduate school. And he fell in love with the admiral's daughter. He got up enough courage to ask the admiral, would you give me your daughter's hand in marriage? And the admiral said, I will give you my daughter's hand under one condition. I want you to be willing to go through a very risky optical procedure that potentially has the ability to restore your sight. William Duke told his soon-to-be father-in-law, I'll submit to your condition if you'll submit to mine. I'll go through the surgery, but the wrappings don't come off until I'm at the altar with your daughter. And on his wedding day, her daddy walked her to the altar and his daddy walked him to the altar. And they faced that man with that wrapped head. And as his dad unwrapped those windings, William had two miracles. For the very first time since he was 10, he was able to see. And the first thing he saw was her. And he said, you're more beautiful than I could have ever imagined. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so very small. When we see Christ, one glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So let us run this race till we see Christ. (laughs) Am I preaching to somebody today that there's an enemy out there? Just put something in your life trying to destroy you. I'm here to say, throw away your bucket of black paint and get your brushes and rollers and start painting that dude white. Overcome evil with good. Don't be the victim. Be the victor. 
Don't be overcome, overwhelmed. And the Bible said, you'll get to eat of the, free, of the tree of life. You'll drink of the water, amen, freely. There are so many blessings and benefits because when it's all said and done, ladies and gentlemen, and you see him, you're gonna go, wow, I could have lost this for a momentary bitterness. I could have lost this, amen, if I would have just allowed that to get in my spirit. When I was a young preacher, I had the privilege to drive a great man named Billy Cole around. Billy Cole was building a church in Wheeling, West Virginia. And he would call me and ask me to drive him. He got it from Billy Graham. Billy Graham was never touched by scandal. And so Billy Cole said, I'm going to do what Billy Graham did. And I'm never going anywhere alone. And he would call me and I would drive him. We used to have a wonderful man from Ethiopia. He came here every Sunday. His name was Teklamarin Gazhazni from Ethiopia. There were people got jealous of him. They wanted him out. So they asked him to leave the fellowship and he left. It crushed Billy Cole. It crushed him. He called me two days before he died and he said, the time of my departure is at hand. He said, I wanted to call you before I left. He said, you know the 10 men that I had murder in my heart against. He said, yesterday I was lying on my bed and I told the Lord, I, I'm ready. I've lived my entire life trying to replicate the ministry of Peter. And I'm fortunate I've seen every miracle in the book of Acts replicated in my ministry. And he said, the Lord spoke to him and said, that was the problem, Billy. You should have spent that time trying to be like me, not trying to be like the impetuous Peter. Now you go to my word and you find out what I did before I left. And if you want to be like me, you've got a little bit of time left to do it. So he said, I'm calling you, Harold, because you know those 10 men that I had hatred in my heart against. I went to Calvary, and this is what he said right before he died. I forgive you. I forgive you. He said, Harold, I'm going to go to my grave believing I was right, but my spirit was wrong. And when I went to Billy's funeral, Brother Tenney opened his message with this statement. We are here to build a memorial to a great man with the same bricks that we threw at him while he was alive. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, there's only one thing, with the exception of the Spirit of the Lord, there's only one thing on this earth that didn't come from here, and that's music. Music came from heaven. And there's only one thing in heaven that didn't come from there. Scars. He got those here, and he took them there. And I don't care who you are, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to have scars. You're going to have wounds because this is all about suffering in order to know the power of his resurrection. Will you stand with me? I talked to my mother. What about daddy? See, my dad was impervious my dad was like the rock of gibraltar after he left my mother told me an amazing story
She said, Harold, your daddy told me there was a time when I almost gave up. There was a time when I almost gave up. She said, it got so bad, Harold. I went in one room and your dad went in another. She said, I don't know when it was. It was way past midnight. All I know is the room started to shine. <laughs> and the afterglow, the presence of the Lord. She said, I screamed, airy, airy. She said, your daddy came and hugged me. We sat there on that floor, presence of God in our house. She said, never again were we ever tempted to stop. Never again did anybody's words wound us. Never again. It just rolled off of us. Why? They painted it white. They painted it white. You're going to have people, you've either got them in your life or you're going to get them in your life and they're going to do their best to burglarize your joy and to steal your testimony. Do you hear these kids up here today? <laughs> there are testimonies in this youth group that we'll let you hear in the coming weeks. Oh God. Oh God. Come with me around this altar. Lord Jesus, paint it white, sir. Paint it white, man. Don't let it impact your spirit. Don't let it hit you and poison things in your life. Paint that thing white and divert that thing. Distract that thing. Push it on another trajectory. Get it out of the course of your life. Amen. 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 They're going to sing for a while. But don't let them sing alone. Everybody's in the choir right now. Everybody sing with me right now. In the name of Jesus. 